It's a privilege and a blessing to greet you in the name of Jesus Christ this morning. You know, I was thinking as I was sitting here this morning, if it wasn't for him, would I get up and share? I really don't like talking that well. But it's because of him that I share with you this morning. I've been doing a series looking at seven important marks in time, starting from the beginning, looking at creation. Um, you were all here this morning. You came from somewhere. You're going somewhere. You have to give recognition to your origin. I talked about the corruption, the fall of man, what took place in the garden experience, our accountability through that fall. I talked about the, uh, the uh, catastrophe, the flood, where God dealt out punishment for that sin. I talked about the, the last time I talked about the confusion that took place at the Tower of Babel. We, we deal with that today. You don't have to travel very far until you, you, you realize that uh, there are different languages in the world. Where did that come from? It all goes back to the Tower of Babel. This morning I want to look at Christ. And uh, this is the, I wanted to mention seven important marks in time. We talked Wednesday evening about uh, number symbolism. Can someone tell me what the number seven symbolizes? Anyone? Perfection, completion. This morning we're looking at that fifth mark. Now this is getting a little harder. You know what the fifth mark, you know what number five symbolizes? Anybody remember? We talked about it. Those that were here. It's a little more veiled. Go back to the tabernacle. Right, that will jog your memory. Well, I don't feel bad. I don't remember half of what I... Yeah, five bars. Okay, it's coming. I see a little rust. <laughs> okay. It's, it speaks for grace, God's grace. And I think, that's, I think that's really noteworthy. We're looking at the fifth important mark in time, and guess what that is? That's Christ. He is our channel of grace. He's our channel of, of experiencing God's grace poured out to us. So I found that rather interesting that uh, there was five pillars in the tabernacle. There was five, door, uh, five uh, bars, I think, that held the tabernacle together. There was five sacrifices that were accepted, five sacrifice offerings. It's also found it interesting that the name Christ is actually only found in the New Testament, if I'm not mistaken, according to Strong's. Uh, I didn't search that out other than looking at Strong's. I only found it in the New Testament. Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter uh, 1. And I realize Dwight preached from this some Sundays back. But in John, chapter 1, as I was thinking about uh, Christ, I, I thought of this experience of Jesus' disciple in, in in the uh, beginning of Jesus' ministry here, at the end of, uh, near the conclusion of, of Gospel of John chapter 1, I'd like to uh, read verses 35 through 42. Gospel of John 1, 35. Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt in a boat with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. 
Now notice particularly, he first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted to Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. We have in this little account here in the Gospel of John, Andrew introducing Peter to Christ. I was wondering, a question came to me, how do we introduce people to Christ today? We don't have the uh, bodily, physical presence of Christ this morning here to, to physically introduce like we sometimes introduce people. This is so-and-so, like Andrew did here in a very practical way. And uh, I also thought about it, you know, did, did Peter actually need any, any introduction to, uh, to Jesus? Jesus, by his response, knew more about Peter than what Andrew actually told him. And... Uh, but yet it was, it was very, very interesting that, uh, that Andrew took that initiative to bring his brother to uh, Christ. We have that responsibility too. Uh, I don't think it really matters that Christ is not here in bodily form. We are commissioned with that responsibility. And there's three things here in this introduction that Andrew did to, uh, for his brother Peter to Christ, to introduce him to Christ. And that's verse 40. He heard. It says... Um, one of the two which heard John speak, that's John the Baptist, and followed him was Andrew. He heard. He heard about Christ. He heard it. You and I this morning, and as we immerse ourselves in God's word, we hear who God is, who Christ is. And then verse uh, later on there in verse 40, it says, uh, it talks about he followed and followed him. We need to hear with our ear. We need to hear the gospel. We need to hear the truth. We need to follow it. We need to flesh it out. We need to live it. And then it says, thirdly, we need to tell it. So it comes in our ear. We need to live it out in our physical life. And then we need to tell it. And that telling is by way, the way we walk, by the way we conduct our lives. We can introduce people to Jesus this morning through that same way. Those three steps. We need to hear it. We need to follow it. We need to tell it. Dennis referred to one of my other, my next scripture here in the Sunday School lesson. Turning Further ahead in the Gospel of John to uh, John chapter 20. And this was at the conclusion of Jesus' earthly ministry. So I find one here in the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, and then I find one here at the conclusion. And that maybe helps us to identify a little more closely to exactly what our reference point is in introducing or bringing people to Christ. And that has to do with the disciple Thomas. In John 20, verses 19, I'll begin reading. This was after the resurrection, then the same day at the evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the, were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so I send you. Notice that, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whoso, whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my fingers into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. 
Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach thither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach thither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And there's a blessing for us pronounced by Jesus himself. He's saying, we have not seen the physical body of Jesus, but yet through the eyes of faith, we can, he can be just as real to us today as he was to his disciples, his, his 12 disciples there through that experience of the resurrection. We have not seen the, phys the bodily, physical, resurrected body of our Christ, but yet through the eyes of faith, we believe it. Do you believe that? Can you embrace that this morning, that he is just as real and uh, we have that blessing or that uh, blessing pronounced on us if we are willing to exercise that faith. number of things here. Christ is our source of peace. And uh, it mentions the idea of the disciples having fear. You know, what, what fear did disciples have? Well, it was probably the fear of, of the, uh, the hierarchy, perhaps, those that had crucified Christ. Why would they not his followers, his disciples? Uh, matter of fact, Jesus later on, I think, tells us, our dear in his earthly ministry earlier, actually, tells us that we should expect persecution. We should expect, and we should rejoice in that. Um, verse 20, Thomas, uh, he showed, to Thomas there, he showed his identifying wounds. Um, and their response was they were glad he showed it to the disciples and to Thomas, and they were glad the enemy hadn't defeated Christ after all. What looked so much like a dark, uh, end to a life that was a life of service, a life of ministry, had not ended in defeat as our carnal eyesight would have viewed it. But their eyes of faith, they needed the eyes of faith to look beyond, just like you and I need the eyes of faith to look beyond to the Christ that we place our salvation in. You know, in, in all of the other, the other points I mentioned, I said there's, there's one foundational. In each one of those seven marks, there's a foundational truth that we have to deal with. Uh, and uh, I may just rehearse these. In creation, we need to understand the biblical account, and it's our key to a, a, a healthy Christian experience. Uh, the corruption experience, the conflict that took place in the garden, you know, I need to recognize that life is too big for me and you and I to handle alone. We need something else. We need a power that will deliver us. And again, that's found here in, in our lesson here today. The corruption, or rather the catastrophe that took place, the accountability we have to answer to God for the life that we have lived. That's, we, we're accountable to God for somebody. And then the confusion, that uh, the truth that I wanted you to take home was leaving God out of the picture will lead to confusion. And we see that today. There's a constant uh, effort to, to take God out of the picture, not to recognize him for who he is. And the truth I want you to take home, if you, get, if you forget whatever else I say here today, remember this, that uh, the truth is that what I believe about Christ and what place I give to him in my life will determine my course through life and ultimately my destiny and your destiny. That's, that's a determining factor. What, what place you give him in your life, how you view him, will determine my course through life and ultimately my destiny. So it's important what we understand about Christ. I've divided my sermon in three parts here this morning. What has Christ done? 
what is he doing and what will he do? And I want to spend most of my time on the first part, what he has done. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews is a book of better things and uh, sometimes known as a book of better things. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 and 15 For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but took on him the seed of Abraham. We see Christ taking on. He, he took on the... the uh, the, uh, the, the nature of mankind. And we talked about that somewhat in our Sunday school lesson. He was willing to take on that nature for you and me this morning. Uh, he was a partaker of flesh and blood. And that through his death, he might destroy the power of death that passed on to mankind in the Garden of Eden. He became the perfect sacrifice. Just turning ahead in, in the book of Hebrews to chapter 9, verses 14 and uh, also verse 26, chapter 9, Hebrews, uh, verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And then dropping down to verse 26. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now, once in the end, of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So he became the perfect sacrifice. And that's really what, that was the only sacrifice that was acceptable to God. It was because of his sinless perfection without spot to God to purge our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Turning ahead in, in the, uh, to First Peter chapter 3, verse 18 is another truth. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient, when once the long-suffering God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few that is eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. So there we see him suffering uh, for my sins personally this morning, for the sins of the whole world, and uh, the just for the unjust. Christ did that for me this morning. These are things that God, that Christ has done. Going back to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, 2 verses 13 and 14. He hath redeemed us, and that starts out in verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. That's you and me this morning. We are Gentiles. We're not Jews. Through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Again, 
we receive that promise through the exercise of, of faith and, again, on what Christ has accomplished for us. As he has redeemed us, uh, it mentions the idea of uh, from the curse of the law. And uh, so he has, he has he's redeemed us from that from, he has delivered us from that curse. When there's a law, there's, there's a penalty that has to be prayed, paid. rather. And uh, in Hebrews chapter 2, there's a couple of verses there in 17 and 18, while we're right there. But if while we, pardon me, verse 17, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law am dead to the law that I, might, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I'll stop reading there. That's talking about the, uh, the reconciliation that, that Christ did for you and me this morning. Uh, he brought us back. And uh, that re talks about the idea of restoring a relationship. Um, in the book of Acts, we, we see the idea of justification being uh, experienced through Christ, Acts chapter 13. So we're looking at redemption, we're looking at reconciliation, and then we're looking at uh, justification, Acts 13, two verses. These are things that Christ accomplished in his earthly ministry and suffering and death and resurrection. Two verses, 38 and 39, of chapter 13. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, though this man is preached unto you, unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. So we have the law of Moses given in the Old Testament. The law of Moses, you know, made us aware of the sin, but in itself it made us guilty, pronounced guilt upon us. But there is no redemption except through Jesus Christ and only their observance of the sacrificial system and their faith in a sacrifice that would be perfect, looking ahead to that perfect sacrifice, Christ Jesus. I believe to truly understand justification, we need to actually take a look at the cross. What took place at the cross? That's where Christ offered his life as the perfect sacrifice. And several things that stand out, you know, as you think of the cross, there's the aspect of guilt. Uh, it's not him that placed him there. It was us that placed him there. It was our guilt that placed him there. Uh, he was sinless. Uh, the idea of redemption sees it from an enslaving force from which we need to be liberated. And uh, Christ, again, provided that redemption. Reconciliation brings out the fact of, of sin. And justification sees our guilt from a legal point of reference. So if there's a law... Uh, there has to be a penalty paid, and Jesus, uh, Christ paid that penalty on Calvary. He justified us by his sacrifice. Uh, when the law is broken, there's that penalty that needs to be dealt with, and Christ has met the requirements of the law. Again, it's, it's as we put our, our, uh, our faith in that act of uh, his sacrifice on, on the cross that gives us that deliverance from the power of sin. You know, we're talking about... Uh, living sinless lives in the Sunday school lesson. And, and, and that power is, is there. It's there. It's available. But, you know, we still are in the flesh, and we don't want to make excuse or place for the flesh. But Christ 
did it right. He did it with sinless perfection. Lived his life. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Romans chapter 3, familiar verses, verses 23 verse, through the end of the chapter there. For we have all sinned. There's not a one of us here this morning. Not a one of us on the face of the earth that can say that we have not sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace. I like that verse. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a perpetuation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare, I say, that at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. That's talking about us. We can be, uh, we can be, it's talking about as we believe in Jesus, we can be justified. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we, we conclude that man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yea, also of the Gentiles, saying it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision, uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Ye are established by the law. So the law, as Paul said, was our... Uh, schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It had purpose. It had intent. But yet Christ fulfilled that law. He did not destroy it, but he fulfilled it. Faith is that vehicle that will, will take us through the experience. He has some of the things, some, moving on here to some of the other things he has done. He has given us citizenship. Looking at Ephesians chapter 4, or Ephesians chapter 2 rather, uh, verses uh, 8 it talks about, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, if it's the gift of God. Again, it's a gift. It's not through works, like we were talking there in the uh, verses we read just preceding. It's, it's a gift, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk or live in them. Therefore, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh are who are called the uncircumcised by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. A very, very, very dark picture. We're without hope. We're without any, any claim to Christ. But now notice verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes afar off were made nigh by the blood of Christ. He is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down that middle wall partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinance for to make himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, Jesus Christ himself, being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together, groweth unto the holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Now that sounds like fellowship. That sounds like what we're talking about in a Sunday school lesson. Uh, the building fitly framed together, and uh, there's it, it makes no difference of our background, makes no difference of our... Uh, you know, we're, we're our class. We're all together in Christ Jesus this morning. 
So he has given us our citizenship. Do I experience his peace? It mentions peace there numerous times. Am I a contributing member to God's family? Just some questions to ask ourselves as we look at these scriptures here. Um, do I have the Holy Spirit living within me? Do I display the fruit of the Holy Spirit? You know, if I'm going to be introducing others to Christ, I think they need to see the fruit of the Spirit evidenced in my life. If I'm going to adequately introduce them to who Christ is. Moving to the second point, what is Christ doing today for me? In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14, 15, and 16, it talks about his high priestly intercessory role that he does for us in glory. Uh, we can find, uh, we have a high priest that is touched with the feelings of our infirmity. He's, it doesn't matter what burden, trouble, or trial you're facing in your life today. God, Christ, understands that difficulty that we're going through. We can find grace. It mentions there in Hebrews chapter 4. It talks about finding grace through that, uh, through the truth of, and the understanding of the truth of that principle, that he's there at the right hand of God interceding in our behalf. Going to uh, John chapter 10, and you needn't turn to that, is the Good Shepherd passage, verses 3 and 4, talk about him leading us out, going before us. You know, we don't have to worry about tomorrow. Absolutely not. We don't have to worry about tomorrow because God is already there. Tomorrow is just the same as today. You know, do we have any questions about today? Well, we're at, right now we know what's happening. We know what's taking place, so we, we accept it. But to realize and recognize that tomorrow is just as real as it is for us today because God knows what tomorrow holds, and we can trust our lives to him. John 14, verses 1 to 3, talks about the... Uh, I may just turn back to that one. That's the uh, account where he... Uh, the disciples, uh, he told his disciples he was going to be leaving them. And uh, John 14, uh, verses 1 through 3, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Again, notice that, that relationship between Christ and, and, the, and God the Father. He says he's, he's inviting us to his Father's house. In verse 2, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. He's doing that for us today. Those who have named the name of Christ, those who are, uh, have submitted to him, those who are serving him and are his kingdom builders here. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Revelations chapter 5. We, we talk about worship, and this is an aspect of worship that we maybe sometimes don't think about as often as we should. Revelation chapter 5, verses 12, this is breaking into the, uh, this is John, the revelator here, and his vision that he had. Verse 12, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth. Notice that. Every creature which is in heaven and on earth. And under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them. Heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And uh, God receiving, Christ receiving our worship here this morning as we, we, we share. Uh, you know, it's, it's an aspect that I, I sometimes don't stop to think about. Um, you know, what does Christ think as we discuss and attempt to understand? And even as I share with you this morning, it's His Holy Spirit that gives us understanding. Uh, 
in, in our limited way of communicating, uh, God's Spirit can, can, can take that truth and apply it to your circumstances, to your experiences. Uh, Christ receives our worship at the right hand of the Father. God receives our worship. Well, thirdly, what will Christ do for us? Uh, in John chapter 6, the gospel, the gospel of John, John 6 is a promise that I believe every believer needs to embrace. We talked about eternal life in the Sunday school lesson. Beginning at verse 39. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And uh, so there we have that truth. I was going to read on through here further to verse 48, I guess. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto him, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God. He hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Uh, so Jesus is, is uh, drawing us to the Father, I believe, through his ministry and through his redemptive work on Calvary. Jesus, Christ is that channel through which we, we have access to the Father. And he will raise us up in the last day. He is also, I believe, our daily bread. It's him that sustains us through life. Christ will also keep us from falling. And future, future tense, he will present us faultless before the, the, the Father. A, uh, a doxology that uh, we many times hear uh, quoted at the end of a service. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. And look at the truths that are in there. He is able to keep you from falling. He's able to keep us sinless through our walk in this, our journey through life. And he will present you and me faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Is that truly what we're anticipating? That God would be able to present you personally, me personally, before the throne of the Father? And again, that goes back to uh, uh, what Laverne shared in the Sunday School. Lesson. You know, Christ isn't twisting God the Father's arm. Uh, you know, he knows, what, he knows what Christ has accomplished, that work that was accomplished on Calvary. Paging ahead to Revelations chapter 7, several verses 15 through 18. This is future. Again, what will Christ do for us? Therefore, breaking into verse 15 of chapter 7, Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. 
and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. That's a promise that we, we, we want to claim this morning, that God, as full-time throne servers, if you can get that, a full-time throne server, God will feed us, He will lead us, and He will lead us unto living fountains of water, and uh, also wipe away all sorrow, all tears from our eyes. And uh, that's something to look forward to. I'm going to omit the kneeling prayer here at the end. Instead, I'd like you to think, uh, like you to take the song sheets that are in your, uh, either in your song books or in your song racks. It says it's a hymn that's in the Christian hymnary, so it wasn't in our books here. But not I, but Christ be honored. And I want you to think of that as your prayer this morning, rather than our regular kneeling prayer. Not I, but Christ be honored, loved, exalted. Not I, but Christ be seen, be known, be heard. Not I, but Christ in every look and action. Not I, but Christ in every thought and word. Not I, but Christ to gently soothe in sorrow. Not I, but Christ to wipe the solemn tear. Not I, but Christ to lift the weary burden. Not I, but Christ to hush away all fear. Not I, but Christ in lowly, silent labor. Not I, but Christ in humble, earnest toil. Christ only Christ. No show, no ostination. Christ none, but Christ the gatherer of the spoil. Anyone know what ostination means? Pride, vanity, vain. Uh, anything that we in our own selves can conjure up is, is very empty, very vain, not very enduring. You know, sometimes we sing uh, songs like that and we don't stop and look what the meaning is. And uh, so I pulled the dictionary off the shelf. I, I wasn't sure if I knew exactly what it meant, but uh, I was enlightened. Christ, only Christ, ere long, will fill my vision. Sometime we will see Christ physically. And what will our response be? Uh, it's something we can look forward to. Uh, we do not have his bodily presence here with us today, but spiritually, sometime in eternity, we will fellowship and worship with him around the throne. Glory, excelling soon, full soon, I'll see Christ, only Christ, my every wish fulfilling. Christ, only Christ, my all in all, all to be. I've asked Justin to lead us in that song. <laughs> 